22 months ago, I sat in this chair, and, um, and so the title today is A Time to Talk, and um, our, our Time to is all it said, and um, I did that on purpose because I didn't want you to know what I was going to talk about, because if I were to finish the sentence, it would be A Time to Give. Oh, no. So, but let me, let me clarify. 22 months ago, I sat in that chair. We had a very serious talk about money and about finances and those sorts of things. And my promise to you was, as long as everything's good, you won't hear me talk about it again. All right? Well, that lasted for 22 months. All right? So, we're, we're back at it today. And if you're our guest today, please, please make, let me make this clear that today is a family discussion. And uh, I, uh, if it sounds like I'm getting on to people, please know I'm getting on to me and to all of us in, in our congregation. And uh, you are just participating in the family discussion and you're watching this take place. Okay, so uh, I want to make that clear up front. So we're, we're going to start uh, by using the same exact passage we used 22 months ago. Because I guess we need to talk about it several times till we get it. So it's a lifetime thing for us. So we're going to look at Malachi chapter 3. Okay, Malachi chapter 3. Now, we need to understand the background here because this is huge in this, in this story, all right? This is the classic passage that pastors use all over the country about trying to get people to give money, um, but, but the background of this is so big. So the Israelite people had been taken captive by the Babylonians, all right? And so they were living in Babylon. Uh, the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians, Right? And Cyrus, the, uh, the leader of Persia, he allowed the Israelite people to come back and reestablish Jerusalem to rebuild its walls, to rebuild the city, and to rebuild the temple. Now, that's really hard for us to understand. Okay? So let me, let me give you some current day possibilities so you can kind of see what that is. Let's imagine, just for a second, that some crazy dictator in Southeast Asia was able to get hold of an atomic weapon. Right? And let's say that atomic weapon were to hit Jacksonville. Right? But we were able to flee before it came, and it turned Jacksonville into rubble. We, we don't understand that, really, in our culture. But, but every building, everything is torn down. Nothing is left standing. No two bricks on top of each other. Okay? That, that's, that's hard for us to process. But that's what was going on in Jerusalem. And so they went to Babylon... Nebuchadnezzar wiped everything out, no two stones on top of each other. They came back, and it was rubble. And the job was to rebuild everything. So imagine if we came back to, to Jacksonville after this happened, and we were told, rebuild. Huh? Rebuild. Where do you start on that assignment, right? So they came back, and not all of them came back because life was really good in Babylon, and so they were doing well, and they were financially secure, and they were safe, and so a lot of them stayed in Babylon, but the ones who came back came back and started this incredible assignment of rebuilding Jerusalem, rebuilding the wall, and rebuilding the temple, okay? So imagine if that was you, you came back to Jacksonville, you had nothing. You had very little. And so in that context, God writes this, gives this message to the prophet Malachi to the people, all right? Here's what he says. Malachi chapter 3, starting with verse 6, page 960 in the Pew Bible. 
God says this, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. That was a, uh, hey, I love you so much, I haven't let you be destroyed, though you may have deserved it. Verse 7, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Now, imagine this, you've come back to Jerusalem, you don't have anything, you're rebuilding the, the city, you're rebuilding the wall, and God says, you need to return to me. So the thought, I'm sure, for some of the people was, we gave up everything to come back here. Right? The next sentence, um, verse 8, will a, mere, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, I've got to be honest, when I, when I read this passage, I struggle with, why was God doing this? Why was he coming to a group of people that had nothing and insist that they tithe? Now, if you don't know, a tithe is a 10% of everything you, you have and you make. Why would God do that? Because they didn't have anything. They had very little. So I, I began to process that, and I think, well... Maybe it was because God needed the money. Okay, we know that's not true. The headlines will never read, the kingdom of God has gone bankrupt. All right, God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need us. He just chooses to love us and let us be a part of his world. Okay? Thought, well, maybe, maybe God's just mean. Maybe this, this Old Testament God, and, and maybe, the, maybe we look at him, and maybe we see his character all wrong, and, and he's just a mean God and loves it when people suffer. Well, that's not consistent with Scripture. That can't be what's going on. So, so I stop and ask, what, what is God up to? Why would he be so insistent with people who don't have hardly anything that they do this? And I, and I think there's two reasons that we find in the passage. And the first one is, is that God wanted to teach them to trust him. God wanted to teach them to trust him. Look what it says in verse 10. <clears throat> it says this, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if, it will not throw open the flood, if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out much more blessing than what you give. And God says, look, you can't outgive me, but you need to learn to trust me first. You need to learn to trust so what he was telling the people is, listen, I'm going to be here, I'm going to provide, I'm going to be your God, I'm going to give you everything you need, but you're going to have to trust me. And the only way to learn to trust me is if I'm the only thing left you've got. Whew. I ought to be the only thing left. But when you trust me, I promise it'll be worth it. Now, some pastors talk about this being a, a get-rich thing, and, and that's not what this is about at all. Please don't hear me say that. But this is about God proving to us that he is trustworthy. 
So there, there are some fundamental foundational teachings in Scripture uh, about things, about stuff that I think are very important. And the first one is, is that everything that is belongs to God. The psalmist wrote, the earth is the Lord and everything's in it, and it is his. Paul wrote in Colossians, everything was made by him and for him. Everything that is, is his. Right? So the second principle then would be everything that I think is mine is not really mine. I'm taking care of somebody else's stuff. Now, that's kind of hard for us to hear because we work hard for our money. We work hard for the things that we have. We work hard for our homes, our cars, or whatever it is. But it's all his. The third principle is that everything that we have is temporary. It's temporary. Right? That's why Jesus was so big. Don't, don't build your treasure on earth. Build it in heaven. Because the stuff on earth will be destroyed and it will go away and it's not, it's not going to last. But build around the stuff that lasts forever. It's temporary. And the fourth thing, and Jesus said this himself, the fourth, fourth principle, and this one I think is hard for us to deal with, is Jesus said you cannot worship both God and money. It's impossible. They are mutually exclusive from each other. You cannot worship both. You, you just, it's, you can't do it. You're going to worship one or the other, but you can't worship both. And so these principles drive the teaching about money and about material possessions throughout Scripture. And so God comes to the people who have come back to Jerusalem and says, listen, don't put your hope in what you have. Put your hope in me. Put your hope in me. And so there is God is a parent. He sometimes has to teach us lessons, and he somehow, sometimes has to teach them the very hard way right? So if you've been a long-time giver, you know this, that there are times that, that you give and the money's not there. And you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to take you at your word. And somehow God's math is just so different than mine, right? I look at my checkbook and say, it's not going to happen. He looks at my checkbook and says, don't worry about it. I can't tell you how many times that's happened. That a math doesn't add up, but there's plenty there. It's kind of like the widow with the oil that makes the bread. It's just never, it's like, it's weird, okay? So I'm not, I'm not trying to make this make logical sense. I'm telling you that God wants us to trust him. And so as a loving parent, he has to train us to trust, and that's what he was doing with his people. I remember when my son first got his pickup when he was in high school. He went down the street, across the street, uh, went into a neighbor's driveway and backed out and ran over our next-door neighbor's mailbox and knocked it over. Right after he got it. Now, it didn't phase his truck at all, but the mailbox was gone. And so he drove off. He came back later, and he said, Dad, i got to tell you something. What's that, buddy? I knocked down the neighbor's mailbox. But there's no sign on the truck. What do you think I should do? <laughs> I said, okay. We, we've been doing this dad-son thing for a while now. What do you think I think you should do? I should go tell him. That's probably a good idea. He said, but it's going to cost money. I said, yeah. Do you have any money? Now, if you know my son, money's a big deal for him. Do you have any money? Well, yeah. Aren't you going to help me pay for it? Did I run over the mailbox? <laughs> so he went over. He found how much it was. He went, got the money and gave it to them. All right? 
Not because I'm a great parent, but, but the idea is, is that as parents, we want to teach our kids to do what is right. And God looks at our lives and he says, okay, here's some things that you need to know. And so he looked at the Israelite people and said, all right, you're working hard. You're doing a lot of what I want you to do, but here's the problem. You don't trust me yet. I need you to learn to trust me. And this is how it's going to happen. Right? As we go through this journey and we live in this world, this crazy world that we live in, it's so easy to cross the line where we trust money. I read fantastic or amazing statistics this week about credit card debt and debt in general and, and how we function as a society, and our society really trusts money. And my guess is, is that a lot of Christ followers do the same. Okay? But we need to understand that our relationship is with the one who has access to everything. All right? And so he wants us to trust him. All right. There's a second thing that's going on here, and the people could not possibly understand it. Uh, but, but here's what God said. He said, bring, in verse 10, bring the whole tithe in my storehouse that there may be food in my house. Okay? So it was a matter of taking care of the temple and keeping it going and those sorts of things. And they, they would not process why that mattered other than God wanted it done. But historically, here's what, there was something so big going on in history that they could never see, that just a couple of hundred years later, a little baby would be born in Bethlehem. His name was Jesus. And he was the Messiah. And the promises of Scripture were that Jerusalem would be there and that the temple would be there. And all of that had to happen because God had a much bigger picture and plan than they could possibly understand. I need you to trust me because I'm up to something that's really big. You're not going to get it. Don't ask. Don't try to figure it out. Just trust me because I have a plan that's beyond your ability to conceive and understand. And I think we have to realize when it comes to finances and it comes to our journey of faith that God is always working around us. Quick story happened to me this week. Um, small amount of money, but it was a really cool story, and I think it happened so I could tell it to you. So I was at Baptist Hospital this week making a visit, and for some reason in my car I had $9 in cash. Now that's a big deal because I never, ever have cash. I don't know about anybody else. It's all plastic now, um, but I had $9 cash. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to go by the coffee shop when I'm done and get a cup of coffee. Just because. Now at Baptist Hospital, it's interesting, they don't let the baristas have tips. All right, having had a daughter and a son-in-law who are baristas, that irritates me. So every time I go in, I will drop a dollar on the floor, and I will pick it up and say, I found a dollar, right? And so they're always nice and excited about that. Anyway, we had a conversation, and she was talking about me, and, and uh, she asked me who I was. I told her, and, uh, and she's, she said nice things about me that I was like, whoa, uh, about my spirit and stuff. But anyway, uh, she gave me the cup of coffee and said, this one's on me. I said, no, 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 no. Here. She said, no, I'm supposed to give you this cup of coffee. It's like, okay. Free coffee. All right. It's even Starbucks. Even though Starbucks is the bad guys, I know, but it's Starbucks. <laughs> so I got the coffee, went to the car. I was excited, cup of coffee. So it's Wednesday, come back to church, teach class. There's a young man that attends class on Wednesday night, never seen him before, and he stays for class and he wants to talk to me. So we go into my office. Now remember, I started with $9. I've given one away, right? The math's real big here. 
So he comes and he talks to me, and uh, he says, I am dying of a horrible disease. And he said, um, all of my treatments are paid for. Uh, some, something that he's in, some system that he's in, everything's paid for. But he said, I can't afford the medication that treats the side effects. I have sores all over my body. I have sores in my mouth, and I really need to get that medication. I said, so how much does it cost? Eight dollars. There you go. Now, that's not a huge story, and it's not a, but, but here, here's what I want us to see. That God is always doing big stuff and stuff much bigger than us. We're just a part of the, uh, of the whole thing he's doing. We're just here participating in what he's leading. And so I think it's very, very important for us to understand uh, when, when it comes to our finances, that's, it's all about stuff that's bigger than you and me. Okay? So I'm going to take this to a practical point for us and what it means. Um, we are in a situation where we're making it. Barely, but we're making it. Meaning we're paying the bills. Okay? Now, that's okay for us as a congregation, but that stinks for the kingdom. All right? So let me, let me tell you uh, what that means if we don't begin to go beyond because ministry outside of who we are stops happening. And if we allow that to happen, we need to board up the windows and the doors because we're missing the whole point. Okay. So we give approximately $6,000 every year to the backpack ministry to help feed children at Ruth Upson um, who come from families who don't have food. And every week we fill up a backpack for them, we take it to the school, the counselor gives it to those students, we don't even know who they are, they bring the backpack back on Monday, and it's usually 20 to 25 kids that we help feed them and their families throughout the school year. Over the past multiple years, we've given away over $21,000 to people outside of our congregation who need help. Not to mention the tens of thousands that we give to our own people. We invest in the community in so many ways. This past year, when, when, we set, when I sat down 22 months ago and talked to you, I told you that my dream is, is that we get so much money come in that at the end of the year we can give money away. That was 2015. 2016 was an amazing year financially. At the end of 2016, January 2017, we gave $10,000 away to different ministries because the kingdom demanded it. And it was us saying to God, we trust you. Now, here's what I know. This isn't true for all of you and isn't true for even most of you, but some people, now let me preface this by saying, I have no idea what people give. I don't know who gives what. I don't want to know. I don't want to treat people differently because they give more or be uh, perceived that way, I have no idea. But I do know that in general, there was a group of people, I was told by people who do know, um, that when that happened, 
They said, oh, the church is okay, so we can stop giving as much. No, that's not how this works. Right? And so I think it's very important for us to understand, very important for us to realize that it's not about this institution. That the money we give is not about this institution. It's all about King Jesus and his kingdom. And when we lose sight of that, we're making a huge mistake. So I, I want to kind of wrap this up by saying thank you very much for being on this journey with me. Thank you for giving. I know there are people who sacrificially give. I know there are people who sacrificially give way beyond any minimum biblical requirement. And I'm so grateful for that. I know because they've told me. But we have to understand we're in this together. And if we really want to be everything God wants us to be, if we really want to keep investing in the community, we need to do that. If we don't want to keep investing in the community, then we need to ask, what are we doing here? What are we doing? We've been called by our king to be salt and light. The activities of this weekend that happened in Virginia should remind us how desperately our world needs salt and light. And if we don't bring salt and light, who's going to? Who's going to? So I want to challenge you as I challenge me. Let's trust him. Let's trust. And I'm just going to tell you up front, if we blow away the budget and we have extra money, we're going to give money away again next year. No apologies from me or any of the elders or finance team or anybody else. Because that's why we're here. We're here to bring the love of Jesus to this community. And if we stop doing that, then let's just quit. Let's do something else. You know, Jesus in Matthew 25, man, he was, whew, and I don't think he was joking when he said it. He talked about the sheep and the goats. And he said, you know, sheep, you've been taking care of me. You've been feeding me when I was hungry. You've been giving me something to drink when I was thirsty. You visited me when I was in prison. You, you did all of these things for me. And they said, when did we do that? And he said, whenever you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And he looked at the goats and said, sorry, you're out. Let's paraphrase. Sorry, you're out. Why are we out? Because I was hungry, you didn't feed me, and was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. I didn't have clothes, you didn't give me clothes, you didn't come see me in prison. When did we do that? Whenever you didn't do it, to one of the least of days. Man, that, that's a judgment parable. That's a judgment parable. The sheep are welcomed to his presence, and the goats are sent off away from him in a Eternal darkness. That's a judgment parable. So apparently, it's a pretty big deal. Unless he was just pretending. Mm, I don't think Jesus did that much. So I challenge you again as I challenge me. Let's rethink this. Let's refocus. And I promise if we take care of it, we won't have to talk about it again. But as soon as we don't, I'll be back.
And we're going to sit there and look at each other and say, oh, I wish you wouldn't talk about this. So let's get it right. Let's pray.